Building a business ain't easy. It takes hard work, dedication, and strength. This is Success Failed with Philip Long. Must know tips for executives going through the trials and tribulations of growing their own business. Now, here's your host, Philip Long. Welcome to Success Failed with Philip Long. Got a great show lined up today. Uh, my special guest is going to be Guy Cuttingham, and he is the one of the lead guys over at NetSurion, which is our security operations center that we use. And we're going to talk specifically about some of the threats that we're seeing in the marketplace today and some ways to stop those type of threats. So, But before we get started in that, I want to talk to you about the the threat of the month, if you will. And one that I found very interesting is that a particular university will leave them unnamed. Um, this was actually caught by NetSurion, so there was actually no data loss in this incident. But um, this particular university having 34,000 students, and as you know, much of them are working remotely now, so a lot of uh, outside connections coming into their data center. And what was found was that they were using a particular uh, remote connectivity software called SSH. Uh, Secure Shell Protocol is, is for, you know, is kind of what that is. And what that is is a way to be able to remote into, say, a Linux or a uh, SCO Unix or, uh, you know, not a Windows box. Uh, for Windows, we would be looking at more of the RDP, Remote Desktop Protocol, for those who, you know, who actually remote in a lot. Uh, but what they found was they were having a ton of scans that kicked up on April the 30th. I'm talking about like 150,000 scans per day where they were ultimately trying to compromise that SSH because it was using a very weak cipher and it was version 1. And kind of the point of all this is, is that, you know, fortunately, of course, Neturion, they saw it happening, they were able to catch it, and they were able to point uh, the university to being able to fix it. But that weak cipher has been out on the CVE, um, you know, common vulnerability and exploits list since 2001. And so that has been a known weak cipher uh, that has been known since 2001, literally almost 20 years. And this particular university was still using that. And I see that often. And what I, what I do is where people have something and it's basically out there, it's working, and yet they don't, um, they don't update it. You know, it's working, and they never look at it. They never take a second look. And it's important to do like what I would call a penetration test to check for exploits, to check for those common, uh, you know, vulnerability and exploits that are known. There's a report that comes out every Monday with a list that is ever growing of those vulnerabilities and and exploits, and you need to have somebody checking your firewall, your external posture, your websites, things that are public-facing, because the goal here was that, you know, the bad guys know that a university is going to have a ton of data, and their the attack probably was targeting, uh, you know, data simply to monetize it, possibly hold it uh, for ransom, 
or some type of cyber ex espionage where they'll take the data and then they will also encrypt it and they kind of have you in both arenas. They'll say, hey, if you don't pay us, um, we're going to, you know, release it to the wild and, you know, you're going to be the, the bad guy for having it released. Your name will be attached to the breach um, as well as we have it encrypted so that if you don't have a good backup or you can't restore quickly from your backup, we're going to be able to take down your, you know, your uh, students from being able to go to school, your staff from being able to go to work. So really they're kind of double dipping, if you will, uh, by stealing uh, student data, identities, as well as even possible payroll information, um, you know, that's all facing out there on these uh, on these websites for, for universities. So the takeaway is, is that we need to be diligent in thinking about the things that are facing the world, you know, our firewall, our websites, uh, you know, common portals. Even our Office 365 is always, um, you know, that way where we are um, constantly having something that is turned on, if you will, like your Office 365 portal. And we need to take a look at those things and make sure that we're doing scans on them in order to uh, block the... Um, you know, the bad actors, and especially as it relates to these CVE errors that, again, um, you know, possibly there could be data out there. There's a statistic out there that says that over 90% of the successful attacks um, are known errors and have been publicized for many months. So you need somebody on your team taking a look at that. Interview an expert. Now, let me introduce you. All right. Well, welcome to Success Failed with Philip Long. I am Philip Long, your host, and I have a very special guest today, Mr. Guy Cunningham, and he is the Senior Vice President of Channel Sales and Alliances with NetSurian. Uh, welcome to the program. Thanks, Philip. I am excited to be here. Thank you very much. Yeah. Well, tell me uh, in layman's terms, when you gave me your title, you know, it took me a few minutes to write it down. So it's probably going to take a minute to explain exactly what uh, what you do for NetSurian. And really, what does NetSurian do as a company? Sure. Uh, as a company, NetSurian is in the business of providing secure and agile networks. Um, we serve customers with a secure edge networking solution. It's principally focused on distributed uh, enterprise customers, uh, big companies with lots of little locations. And then we have a managed threat protection platform um, that goes under the brand name of Event Tracker. And that's uh, really focused on cybersecurity, aligning with the what we call the predict, prevent, detect, and respond model, uh, looking at how do we make sure that the endpoints and the networks are all protected uh, across an enterprise's environment. Gotcha. As far as my responsibilities, I'm I'm responsible for our partnerships, whether that's uh, partners that are selling and managing our solutions, or our partnerships and alliances with technology vendors uh, and strategic alliances. Yeah, and one of the reasons I wanted to uh, kind of bring you on is that. Um, you know what I'm seeing a lot of with uh, you know with COVID and a lot of people working from home, we're seeing a big spike in cybersecurity threats. Have you uh, 
uh, seeing that on you know on your detection tools? Are y'all seeing that in the marketplace right now? Absolutely. Um, you know, all of those endpoints that used to to live inside of a corporate network and sit behind a corporate firewall and have you know corporate endpoint protection on it, a lot of those have moved out into home networks that that don't have the same levels of protection. And a lot of companies are asking their employees to to work on their personal devices, and you know they don't have access to install those cybersecurity tools on those personal devices. So we've actually tweaked some of our uh, alerting capabilities to to help those those uh, those employees not be susceptible to phishing attempts, you know, using COVID or um, you know those types of uh, subjects in emails and, and on the websites, malicious websites, et cetera. But at the at the end of the day, our technology is really, really well designed for that work from home or work from anywhere environment. Um, if, yeah. if a solution requires a, a piece of hardware to be installed in a customer's network in order to be centrally managed, then when those devices leave the network, they're unprotected. Our technology leverages an endpoint agent that can go anywhere and follows the device with whatever connection it has to the internet. So we've seen a lot of growth from our customers that have been moving their endpoints out into non-corporate networks. Yeah, and for full disclosure, you know we're a big uh, event tracker fan. It's uh, saved us many times, and we like that extra layer of, uh, of protection that it gives our clients. And it's something that you know I really see. You know, and whenever I first started really looking at this this product and this really extra layer of of security and I want to ask some specifics so our you know our listeners can can kind of understand you know how it works uh but you know I thought ah oh, this is going to be for really the folks that need compliance and it is you know somebody who needs a report showing what happened but uh as things have gone on and really the rapid increase in cybersecurity threats over the past you know 3 years or so I feel like it's really it's for everybody and I, I really try to convince my clients of that but before we go into kind of some of the nuts and bolts of some questions how did you get in this industry I've been in cybersecurity for about 15 years now. My my first um, my first foray into cybersecurity was with Symantec, and I started out as a channel account manager covering a three-state region in the in the Midwest, and it got exposure to uh, both endpoint protection and data protection from a, a endpoint security and a backup perspective with mm-hmm. Symantec, and then. I got some exposure to, you know, hosting infrastructure as a service and what's required to protect that. Uh, and then I went back to Symantec and, and helped run the global alliance with AWS and started understanding what it takes to protect the cloud infrastructure. And, you know, what I saw through those those various positions was that the the biggest risk to a corporate uh, environment starts at the endpoint with the end user, and the thing that attracted me about Event Tracker is that it was a comprehensive solution that resided at the endpoint and was easy to deploy and easy to manage. So, I've been with the company for about three and a half years now, and been really, really proud of what we've been able to accomplish with our partnerships, as well as the way that we've enabled the product and the solution set to grow as well. 
Yeah. And you know that uh with all the areas that you have described really uh of you know where risk is and the things you've done really this one product uh goes a long way in protecting all those things. So let me ask you a question. The terms that we use in this is a little bit um you know, a little bit uh, challenging as far as, you know, SIM and SOC. And, um, of course, what is uh, what is SIM and what is a SOC? You know, is this uh, uh, apparel? Are we talking clothing apparel? <laughs> <laughs> you know, the technology industry in general loves acronyms. Yep. And I think if, if, if we get comfortable using acronyms when we're talking to – uh, people that are not neck deep in the technology like we are, we can confuse them easily. So I appreciate you asking the question. So SIEM is S-I-E-M and stands for Security Information and Event Management. And I was selling SIEM when I was at Symantec 15 years ago, and it was a network appliance, and it was expensive and hard to manage and required constant tuning and vigilance. Uh, with a with the discipline of both people and process, um, yep. and at the at the at the kind of the core, what a sim does is it analyzes log data, log traffic. So whatever device that you're using, whether it's a laptop, a desktop, a server, a network device, um, you know, an operating system, uh, an application, they all produce logs, and a sim at its root will take in those logs, analyze that data to look for actions or events that happened on the device or in the application um, that relates to security. And then that's, that's great in and of itself, but you have to manage it. You have to have people looking at that data and that's where the SOC comes in, the SOC, the Security Operations Center. A SOC yeah. is a, a, a great required partner to a NOC, a network operations center. Um, through segregation of duties, the NOC pays attention to the network, the SOC pays attention to the security, and our SOC is looking at all of the data, the events that happen that is identified through the SIM. And we have the ability to ingest log data from you know, more than 200 different unique log sources and it covers you know across various makes and models there's probably in excess of a thousand different unique uh, devices and applications that we can look at that data from and then our SOC looks at the events does the forensics research correlates that data across different devices and applications in the network to, to identify when cyber activity is happening threat activity is happening um, that gets past individual pieces of technology in your cybersecurity stack. So everybody's got a firewall. Everybody should have endpoint protection on their endpoints. Um, you've got DNS. Those are all independent vendors, independent technologies that do certain things really well. With a SIM, you're able to correlate and collect all of that together and then have a holistic, <clears throat> uh, a singular holistic view of everything that's happening in your network. Um, so, there's been talk about SIMs not being required anymore. Different vendors will give you different opinions. Usually the vendors that say a SIM is not required are the ones that are selling technology other than SIM. 
So uh, it's really the only place that you can have a single holistic view of all the cyber activity that's happening across all of your devices in your networks. Yeah, this is how I describe it, and um, I appreciate that. That's very, uh, yeah, that's an exact thing. But a lot of times, for you know, if I'm meeting with a, a local doctor, or I'm meeting with a, you know some business owner, it's really you know computers log everything. And it's an enormous amount of data. I think I forget how many logs that you know of average five workstation and a server. It's something like per day. It's like two hundred fifty thousand log files or whatever, something crazy like that. And what this tool does really is looks at all of that data. And you guys are looking for anomalies. You're looking for something outside of the ordinary. And then when it's picked up, you have that SOC team. The SIM is collecting the data, and the SOC team is looking for anomalies and analyzing that data. And beyond that, you know, talk to me a minute about like remediation and, and the taking action on. Yeah, there's there's no single silver bullet. Um, and so you've got to have, as as I've heard you describe many times, a layered approach to cybersecurity. Um, and so when something is identified, somebody's got to do something. Uh, and a lot of a lot of organizations think that cybersecurity technology is set it and forget it, right? You you install it and then you let it run and you do it let it do its thing. But that's not the case. Uh, the threats are changing constantly. Uh, there's an organization called the AV test and they track the number of new threats that, that hit the landscape. And when I started at Symantec, it was about 250,000 new pieces of malware every year. And today, AV test says that it's about 350,000 new pieces of malware or, or unwanted applications that are generated every day. So wow. It's, yeah. It's, it's impossible for any one technology or any one person to, to manage. Um, so we can collect all the data, we can analyze it, our team stays up on all of the, the threats and the, um, you know, the, the technical requirements. And then when something is identified, we co-manage, we, we partner with either our, our customer or with an MSP that has ownership responsibilities, administration responsibilities inside that network to go in and you know, make the fix to, to clean the machine up or to apply a patch or um, to do something to affect the, the change that's required in the, in the actual customer's network. Yeah. Let me ask you uh, another question as far as like, you know, I know that you guys are on a lot of endpoints and, you know, you cover a lot of clients. Tell me some interesting uh, security threats that you've seen lately. Anything that is, you know, out of the ordinary, unique, or, you know, worthy of a of a talk about? Sure. I've got two um, that I actually pulled up in preparation for this. And <clears throat> we, you know, we're looking at about... 20 to 25 billion logs a day across all of our customers. And you know, you're, we're going to see a lot of stuff that is unique. And we capture that and, and try and write it up in what we call the, the, the Security Operations Center Catch of the Day. That's actually on our website. Um, so there's two here. The, the first of these is from a, a law firm that had about 350 lawyers practicing around the globe. So this is a very big law practice. And they were they're working with multinational corporations and you know, family trusts and you know large investor organizations. And 
we actually, our SOC was able to observe an undesirable process that began to execute on a customer's workstation. So this law firm had antivirus installed, had a firewall involved, and this process got past those kind of first layers of defense. And it was actually digitally signed with a certificate from Symantec. So that was part of the mm -hmm. reason why it was able to get passed. And it started, it was masquerading as quote unquote advanced PC care. And so once it got installed on that in-person, the employee's endpoint, it started to display information about the computer's performance. You know, it said, hey, your computer's slow. It's got all these performance issues. Click here and, and we can help you fix it. Mm -hmm. I've seen those type that. products a lot, yeah. <laughs> yeah, fake AV uh, is another one of those. Those yeah. big back in the uh, the early 2000s. Um, our SOC saw that this actually was installed with a malicious YouTube installer. So somebody had downloaded some piece of software that said, hey, well, I'm going to install YouTube on your on your laptop. And this piece of malware was embedded in that. And so the, the network administrator and the end user didn't even see it get installed. Um, and so we were able to, to see the process in action, identify where it landed, what it was doing, who it was communicating with. And we immediately called that end user customer's um, you know, IT manager, stopped it before it was able to spread anywhere else. And so that goes into this multi-layer defense. You've got to have your firewall and AV, but you also need to train your employees on what they should and shouldn't do at their own endpoint, right? As yep. I said earlier, 70% of breaches occur at the endpoint, and a lot of that happens because somebody's clicking on a link or watching a YouTube video that somebody sent them or visiting a website. Yep that is infected. Got it. The other one yeah. is, um, you know, we, there's, so most threats people associate with having some sort of a file, a piece of malware that gets installed on the disk, but increasingly threats are using what's called a fileless attack. It's an attack that lives in memory. And our, um, we have a, in addition to our SIM, we have an intrusion detection service that we can install that um, caught this particular piece of malware. And so it was it was a, a piece of malware. It's actually a Trojan that called Powerlix, and it was installed in the memory as opposed to on the disk. So usually antivirus programs are looking at things that land on disk. And this resided in memory and only had reference in the Windows registry. And it did a couple of other things that were made, that made it very hard to remove. And so what our SOC did is we saw that in memory and we saw what it was doing. So the behavior of that malware as it related to changes that it was making in the registry, mm -hmm. we saw that that piece of, of code was trying to make as many as 14,000 connections to a, a remote IP address, uh, actually about 450 unique IP addresses within a very short amount of time. So we were watching not only, the logs from the device itself and what it was doing, but from the network um, and from the internet connection. And so while we were researching that, we were able to determine that those websites, those IP addresses had poor reputation. Uh, and again, we notified the end users IT team and they were able to sever that connection, isolate the machine, and then go in and do the remediation and clean it up. 
Got you. Yeah, that's very interesting. So that kind of leads me to the next question I want to ask you about, and as it relates to you know really the shape and the uh, you know the projected future of cybersecurity landscape, do you see uh, do you see a day in the near future where maybe the good guys are going to get way ahead and and the bad guys are going to start losing because uh, everything that I read, see, experience is that the bad guys are are growing and and getting better and and making more money. Do you see a change in that? Is there a game changer on the horizon for the good guys or what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, that's that's not a it's not a question that, that elicits a very positive answer, I don't think. <laughs> I know, it makes me yeah, it's frustrating. Yeah, cybercrime is generates more revenue today than the global drug trade. So these criminals are making more money eliciting ransoms and selling stolen data on the dark web than all of the, the drug traffickers in the, in the world are making, selling illicit drugs. Um, yeah. To give you a couple of stats, I, I told you that AV test identified 350,000 new pieces of malware a day. If you look at the, the CVE registry, the, the registry that collects known vulnerabilities in applications that you know, everybody uses, that number of known vulnerabilities is increasing. Uh, I think in 2018, it was about 18,000 new known vulnerabilities. In 2019, it was about 20,000. And the reason is, is that we're, we're producing applications and we're producing APIs at such a fast rate that um, it's it's hard to go through a comprehensive and bulletproof uh, DevOps pipeline to make sure that there's zero vulnerabilities, zero possibility of exploiting that code. Um, everything's moving at the speed of the internet now, and so development teams are, are being pushed to release applications and updates on a faster and faster timeline with agile development. And, you know, all that new code gets out there and new techniques are developed to try and exploit it. So I think it's going to be a reality that we have to live with for, for the foreseeable future that um, cybersecurity is, is a going to be important and B it's going to become even more important because, you know, our businesses and our economy are, are so tied to these applications and these, these, uh, you know, these, these connections between customers and, and partners that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be a great career path for anybody for the next several decades at a minimum. Yeah, that's kind of what I was uh, coming up with. And really, I think in layman's terms, what you just said is basically there are more targets coming on the market with these new software. So more more vulnerability, more risk is being introduced to the market uh, every day. So the, you know, there's not only are the, the bad guys getting greater in numbers and getting more skill set, but there's also more points of entry or more you know areas of risk. The surface area of risk is getting larger, not smaller. So yeah, until we can you know some dynamic changes or somebody comes out with some magic product, which you know I certainly don't see that happening because you know I always tell people you know, humans write code, humans make mm -hmm. software. And other humans exploit software, and you know we're not dealing with with things that are infallible. We're dealing with things that are uh, innately and and you know 
humanity is is uh, fallible. So I mean, I don't I don't see the dynamic changing anytime soon. Very interesting. Uh, I agree with you. Well, listen, kind of on the um, you know on the um, and don't give me a sales pitch here. I want to think about it from a broader perspective of what uh, what we're trying to do. What are things like you know? I'm always you know I'm dealing with a small to mid sized market. And you know, price and and complexity is very challenging. Sometimes I have a big challenge just talking people into patching their systems. Where you know, patching and you know, kind of jumping off of our previous conversation right there was, uh, you know, patching closes up some of those CVE errors. Uh, you know, those those vulnerabilities uh, uh, that are known um, and exploits that are known. So. I have trouble getting them to to patch. I have trouble getting them to change their passwords. What would you say would be the top three things? It's going to put you on the spot a little bit. The top three things that an end user, the average business owner, should be doing. Uh, and then I want you to talk about, you know, maybe like what is a you know kind of. I won't call it best in class, or you know, what what is a uh, you know what would you recommend? So, what's the minimum, and then what would your recommendations be as it relates to that layered security that we mentioned earlier? Sure, um, it's a it's a tough tough question, to, or a tough thing to get your customers to 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 do all the things that they need to do because it's it's never ending, right? Um, so I would say the first thing that they need to do is they need to have uh, a good solid firewall with IDS and IPS turned on. And unfortunately we see a lot of customers who don't turn on IDS and IPS uh, to their, to the proper extent. Um, and then in concert with that, they have to have a good, not just, not just an AV, but a good endpoint protection solution on the, on every single endpoint. Um, freeware, is insufficient uh, in today, especially if it's a free version of a signature-based antivirus. Um, you need to have at least what's called a next-gen endpoint solution, something that's using machine learning and behavioral analysis in addition to, to um, you know, signatures. Yep. Um, so those are the minimums. Uh, the second minimum is to make sure that your machines are patched, as you said. Uh, those are known holes in your applications, and if you don't patch them, the best defenses aren't going to stop somebody from taking advantage of them. So keeping those machines patched. And then the third easy thing, low-hanging fruit, is train your employees. Train them about cybersecurity. Train them about the things that they do every day that create risk in the organization. And that includes um, you know, things that they click on, emails that they open, managing their passwords, uh, et cetera. Um, beyond that, those I would consider the minimum. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, um, as you've described, you know, you need to have additional technologies that protect the network and protect the endpoint. And those could be things like DNS, like web filtering, like email filtering. Um, obviously, we would recommend some sort of a SIM solution that covers not just your core assets, but your your entire network all the way to the endpoint. Um, and then having some sort of a what we call a detect and respond capability. Um, without getting too nerdy on this, there's a, an organization called NIST, the National Institutes of Science and Technology, and they've established a cybersecurity framework. And it's a, it's a pretty high-level guide for 
the kinds of things that any business should be doing to protect their network. And they've broken it up into five categories. The first is to identify. You need to identify your assets. You know, what is it that you have that's valuable either to you or to somebody else? And you need to identify what are the potential attack vectors to those assets. Uh, vulnerabilities uh, being a big one, patches, et cetera. The second category is to protect, and that's the firewall, that's the endpoint protection solution, that's your DNS filtering software, et cetera. The third category is detect. As we've discussed, there is no silver bullet, no, no technology is gonna catch everything. And with the, the rapid increase in the number of attacks and the amount of money that's being made with cybercrime, um, there will be things that get past your protective layers and you need to be able to detect that and you need to be able to, to detect it as soon as possible. You know, most small businesses, their detection capability is my machine's running slow or I've got the blue screen of death, right? Yeah. That's, that's not an adequate detection uh, capability. And then once you detect it, the fourth category of this cybersecurity framework is to respond. You know, what do you do about it? Do you have your policies and procedures, your runbooks, so that you know what you're going to do when you recognize uh, a threat or a breach that's occurred? And then the fifth category is in the worst case scenario, if you can't stop it, you can't clean it up, you've got to be able to recover your systems. And that's where a good business continuity and disaster recovery solution uh, is a requirement. So you do each one of those five categories well, and you're going to be ahead of 99% of the, the other businesses out there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as a certified information system security professional, that is the framework really that, um, that we work off of is the, you know, the, the, the NIST standard. So if you guys have questions about that, we can get you that framework and uh, you know, get you a listing on it. You know, if any of the audience wants to see that, we can uh, get that. You know, kind of a technical conversation, guy. But I think one that people really need to hear in light of you know we're in a spot that's not great, and there's uh, you know not a lot of light at the end of the uh, at the end of the tunnel there as far as um, you know where we're what we're looking at you know moving down the road. I mean, there's there's plenty of risk already and it's getting worse. So I just want to thank you for your time. I know you're a very busy guy and uh, wish you the best. And I appreciate you uh, sharing your insights uh, with my audience. And, uh, and uh, you know, again, just uh, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Phil. I appreciate it. And we love working with you and your customers and I wish you all the success. All right. We'll talk to you soon, guy. Appreciate it. It's time to go inside Philip's head. Thoughts of the month. Okay, for my thought for the month, I'm going to kind of get away from the you know the deep uh, kind of geek speak that we've been doing here with the um, you know the the sim and sock and all that kind of stuff, and I really want to talk a little bit about really teamwork and. Uh, I want to key in on Patrick Lencioni's book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. And something that is very basic to us, I think, is that uh, in that book, he, he talks about uh, the areas of a team. And he, he does it in such a way that it's a pyramid. And the base of that pyramid is the absence of trust. And it's something that is very um, 
very uh, you know understood that without trust you really don't have anything but I don't think a lot of times we think about uh, our relationships uh, in a team and I'm talking about a team as a family I'm talking about a team as a as a marriage I'm talking about a team as the the people you work with and our team that's a you know a, a, my daughter plays volleyball you know at some point we really have to trust the people around us in order to uh, execute in a way that is going to uh, you know uh, achieve the results that we're looking for and um, so I want to just kind of you know briefly go over this thought with you and um, you know starting with the absence of trust where there's no trust there is um, there's no relationship at the end of the day and really whenever we're trying to build that trust that's going to require vulnerability and you know vulnerability and courage are linked you know you see a guy make a, a very brave um, a brave uh, something on a battlefield you know really that we call that courage but ultimately there was a lot of vulnerability he put himself at risk to do so so understanding that a lot of times especially if it's a bad situation in order to gain that trust you're going to have to show courage and you're going to have to make yourself vulnerable and uh, you know put yourself out of your comfort zone as people say and then above that we talk about the fear of conflict and because where there's no trust you really can't uh, have healthy debate or conflict because you're afraid of what the other party is going to do or think or anything like that and uh, you know healthy conflict really implies candid debate and in order to do that you have to be able to speak an opinion without fear of retribution so that's kind of the second layer of having um, you know uh, issues solved is you're going to have to have healthy conflict because you trust one another and then ultimately what happens whenever you don't have trust and you have a fear of conflict there's a lack of commitment because people aren't going to engage in things where they're they can't have a voice in what's going on and then you know after that there's going to be a real uh, avoidance of accountability going to be a lot of blame game uh, going on there's going to be a lot less um, uh, accountability people are going to be pointing fingers and they're going to be saying yeah but yeah but yeah but and you know one of the big things that I've learned in you know working with teams is that if you've got somebody who is a blamer you've got a real problem on your hands because they're not able to control what's going on uh, in the situation because it's not their fault and whenever you know it's someone else's fault you know we can't change other people per se so you're dealing with a situation that can't be changed and you've got to quickly be able to modify that because if uh, if it's somebody else's problem and they can't change it and yet they're held accountable for say that metric or that outcome you've got a real problem that's got to be um, solved and then finally you know I'll kind of start from the bottom again if there's an absence of trust there's a fear of conflict lack of commitment avoidance of accountability and ultimately the crescendo of that type of relationship is going to be an inattention to results and people are not going to want to have um, not going to be able to even have measurable uh, results because 
they're all on their own team. No one is really on their on the team per se of the group that they're working with. Everybody's trying to to CYA cover their own butt because of um, there is no no real team going on. There's a lack of of, of um, results because there's no accountability. And one of the things that I've learned uh, is that you know, putting down numbers, having, you know, everybody has a, a key performance index or a key performance metric, something that they can be measured by. And I always say it so that, you know, on Friday when I drive home, occasionally I go, wow, man, we really crushed it this week. And, you know, to have that feeling is awesome uh, for a business owner. And I know a lot of business owners that don't get that feeling very much. And, I want to have everyone on my team experience that, wow, man, we we really crushed it. So if you get the right uh, key performance indexes, they can look at that and say, wow, I really crushed it this week or this day or this month or whatever, and can have really some, some satisfaction in what they're doing. So I would highly recommend that book if you're working with a team or if your team is struggling and, you know, get get vulnerable. You know, go out on a limb, build some trust with your people, talk about the things that are really going to matter. And, uh, you know, you don't have to tell them even that, um, you know, ultimately, you know, the 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 bigger picture is you got to start with that trust and you got to get open and you got to get honest and authentic with your people. So hope this is helpful for you guys. It's been very helpful for me uh, in building teams. Um, you know, a lot of people who know me and listen to my stuff, you know, they recognize really I had a very uh, poor um, from a leadership perspective upbringing and I had to learn these things a lot on my own. And, and Patrick Lencioni, I've read every one of his books. And he is one of those guys that you can model after. So, again, I hope this is very helpful. Go out and make it happen. You've been listening to Success Failed with Philip Long. Check out AskBIS.com. Brought to you by BIS.